Good evening, Sportzonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglioloro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. We got a good show for you tonight. We'll be joined by Eric Tressler in a matter of moments here. Don't believe we're getting Dave Hastings for more than a couple minutes, if anything, this week. It is his birthday, so we give a big birthday shout-out to Dave Hastings tonight. He should, If he's not able to join us for anything this week, he will definitely be back with us next week, and we got a lot to talk about tonight. So we are going to have a baseball season, like we had mentioned last week. Um, we have some rule changes that got announced for baseball that we will talk about. And I, I'd say the biggest sports story outside of the restarts and everything going on with that is the, the Patriots signing of Cam Newton, a former Carolina Panthers quarterback, former league MVP to a one-year deal. It is for the league minimum with, obviously, uh, escalators in there and incentives for him to hit. But um, so we'll get into that. We have some other things to talk about tonight as well uh, when Eric gets here. But the big thing, yeah, and Cousin David's pointing out in the chat, we'll talk, we'll talk about it a little later. It is very strange that there was no market for Cam Newton. Um, I get why there wasn't really a market for someone like a Jameis Winston because he didn't exactly impress over, you know, he had some impressive moments for sure over his four or five years um, before he hit free agency. I think it was four years, if I'm being honest, him and Marcus Mariota. You know, they, they both kind of started out with a bang, and then the last couple of years really kind of a flounder there. But Cam Newton, it, it really, you know, the idea that there wasn't a market for these guys, and I've seen the posts, um, I, I can't remember the exact amount, but when you have guys like Chase Daniel and Nick Foles getting more money than what Cam Newton and Jameis Winston will be making this season combined, it, it is very strange to see. And I don't care what matrix you use to grade performance. The idea that Chase Daniel and Nick Foles are worth more money and give you more value than someone like Cam Newton. I get that, um, you know, he, for all intents and purposes, he probably is on the downside of his career. But the idea that he wouldn't give you more value than those guys is, uh, is just a tad bit absurd. Um, but we're going to give him a minute here because I see he is joining with us. Just waiting for him to get his audio straight with us. And he is here, ladies and gentlemen. Eric Tressler is here tonight. Eric, how you doing? Tired, my friend. I'm tired. Yeah, I hear you. I'll tell you this. I am five pounds lighter right now because I got my first haircut in five months. Let me tell you something. It's nice. Nice, to, it's nice not to have a fur collar riding on the back of your neck. It's nice. I did the same thing this weekend. I worked on Saturday, but after I got out of work, I uh, I went and got a haircut myself. It had been the first time since Mar uh, beginning of March I got a cut before St. Patrick's Day. 
That was the last time. So, yeah, no, it was definitely um long, long, long time. I don't think I've let my hair grow out that long ever, maybe since I was a little kid. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I was, it was definitely interesting, but I'm definitely, like you, glad to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, I told you last week I haven't had my hair cut since January, so there's that. Let me ask you something. How much did you pay for a haircut out of curiosity? Um, I go to a place by Great Clips by me. Um, so I think it was what sixteen plus. I tipped them, so like twenty bucks. Okay, you know there are places charging thirty dollars for a haircut. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, people, you go, you go to some places, they're gonna try to gouge you now because one, they just opened, mm. and they're probably short money themselves, and then the second reason is, is they know it's supply and demand. Yeah. They're going to open up, and they know no matter what they charge, people are, might get pissed about it, but they're still going to line up there at the door. So, Well, I actually – so I, I, there's a place by me, and I, I got the phone number, and I called them. I said 30 bucks, and I was just like, fuck this. I am not getting my hair cut there. And then I found another place about five, ten minutes from me, 18 bucks. Cousin David is saying, cut your own hair. Yeah, that don't work for me, Cousin David. That doesn't work for me at all. I used I, to. I mean, and I had a pair of uh, clippers for, mm-hmm. for cousin, to go back to Cousin David's point there. Yeah, 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 no, I could have done that, but I just was at a point where I was like, you know what? The whole world's going to hell, and I'm just going to let it grow until, it, <laughs> until we get back to normal. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, and I'm sorry to cut you off. It is, I, for, to me at least, it is different for me than it is you guys because you guys don't let your hair go long normally i have i normally have longer hair than like you cousin david and dave combined so it doesn't work the same for me because i can't just do the thing with the clippers i have to have it a certain way it's like i try to do my sides myself and that always winds up coming out horrible anywhere yeah, I didn't even try my sides. I just, I didn't even clean anything up. I let it grow right over my ears. Yeah, yeah. I bet, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, I have a lot of hair. I'm, I'm not losing any, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, what, you're 37 now. I'm 38. I'm one, of the, I'm one of the few people I know who hasn't dealt with anything like a receding hairline or anything like that. Hold on, wait. I, did you up us a year? I thought I was 36. Aren't you a year younger than me? I thought so. I was born in eighty four. Did 36? I say I was? Did I say I was thirty eight? Yeah. I think I jumped myself. I I, I aged That's myself. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you aged us both. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Yes. No. I am thirty seven. Born in eighty three. You're thirty six. Let's not do the. I'm, I apologize for doing that to both of us. We're not there yet. Your cousin David's age. Actually, you're a little bit older than him. Because he's turning thirty six in uh, September. Actually, you're also you're also my sister's age. Because she turned, she is three weeks older than cousin David. So she's September second. He's September twenty third, if I'm not mistaken. So you guys are all right around the same age bracket. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Shout you were, out to us in eighty four. Yeah, you were uh, you were class of O two, right? Yes, I was. Yeah, I'm I'm class of O one. So but anyway, now that we got all that out of the way, I want to I want to start off with baseball a little bit. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about labor negotiations or anything like that this week. But we do have the rule changes that got announced here. And I think most of these 
we 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 knew were going to happen. So there's going to be a, designa- a universal designated hitter. As a National League fan, I'm one of the few people who's never really had a problem with this. I think as a Met fan, you know, you can question the depth of the lineup all you want to, but I think the Mets, for all intents and purposes, are built for the designated hitter because you have so many players who are defensively limited on that team. So, you know, Cespedes, well, Cano, guys like that, they, they, I'm fine with that. What do you, what, what you want to say? I was going to say, I mean, really, it's got to be – it's just those two. I mean, they're they're going to rotate that spot. You would figure they're your two biggest bats with probably the most amount of money being spent yeah. outside of pitching – and but the Mets are not a best. great defensive team, which is the point. Which is the point I was making. They have a lot of guys who you can make a case would be designated hitters on the right team, rather than fielders. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I just think that honestly, that to go as as far as fielding goes, you probably you don't want Cespedes out there running in the outfield right now, especially yeah. after all the leg injuries he's had the last couple of years. And with Cano getting older, I mean, you know, I mean, they're just, I I understand that you have more other defensive liabilities on the team, but as far as bats go, those are the bats you want in the lineup every day. So regardless of if they're not in the field, then they're going to be, they're going to be DHing because you don't want that bat to relieve your lineup. And that's, that's the one positive thing about the DH coming in is that you're going to see the benefit of not having to take out that lineup, not having to play those matchup games sometimes and stuff. So no, that I agree uh, with you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'll it'll definitely be the two of them rotating the designated here. You'll get no argument from me there. But anyway, the other ones, you know, um, we talked. We we knew this was going to happen. The uh, the three batter minimum rule that requires uh, the starting or any relief pitcher to pitch a minimum of three batters including the batter then at bat uh, or any substitute batter and still such batters are put out or reach base or until the offensive team is put out. Basically, it's the three-batter rule. We knew this was coming. But the, um, the one that's got me a little bit, uh, the extra innings rule where all extra innings are going to begin with a runner on second base in each half inning. And the, the rules that go with that, the batter – or a substitute for the batter who leads off an inning is going to continue to be the batter who would lead off the inning in the absence of this extra innings rule. The runner placed on second base at the start of each half inning shall be the player or a substitute for such player in the batting order immediately preceding that half innings leadoff hitter. If the number five hitter in the batting order is due to lead off the 10th inning, then the number four player in the batting order begins on second base. I'm not a fan of this rule at all. I'm curious to see how this is going to work out, but this just sounds like little league shit to me. What do you think, though? No, I don't think it's little league. I think they were trying to find a way to speed up the game a little bit, and I think that this helps them do that. So, I mean, you don't have uh, extra inning games aren't going to go as long. It makes extra innings slightly more exciting. The one thing it does do, too, is it brings the bunt back into play, something that a lot of sabermetric guys are uh, wholly against. Mm. And I think all of that, you know, could could spark some interest. It's kind of like when the NHL does, you know, overtime and it's three-on-three and, you know, or when, you know, it's just a way to, one, try to speed up the game and, two, try to create some more interest because 
now the game really can end at any time. Now I know it could have before, you know, with one swing, but it's yeah. it's a little different now. And it, you know, because listen, a a bunt and a sack, a good bunt and a sack fly moves the guy over. You know, now are you going to see pitchers walk that first batter to set up the double play? You know, are you going to try to, if it's late in the game, position yourself to where if you know you're going, you know, into extra innings, do you, you know, maybe, you know, kind of finagle the lineup a little bit and, you know, substitute a guy late in an inning who who may be a better runner, maybe there's nobody on base, got two outs, it's, you know, top of the ninth or bottom of the ninth and you're you know going to be leading off like you said before with your example of uh, you know say the five hitters leading off next thing well you know the four hitters you know going to be the guy out there running he may not always be your most nimble guy because he's more than likely your power hitter um in a conventional lineup maybe you would think about substituting out your 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 four hitter for somebody with some speed knowing you may be going to extra innings maybe you 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 could work some things like that to try to work a bunt to try to get that extra run um i think it's going to be a lot more of that kind of stuff i think it could add a little bit of excitement to the game so i'm not hating the idea i just want to see it implemented i want to see how it fully works first well, I'm going to be honest. Like I said, I mean, I get your points on that. To me, it just feels like a stunt, and I get it. You want to attract interest and everything. I just question whether or not it's necessary right off the jump in the 10th inning, though. Like, if you would say if the game continues to the 11th or 12th inning and then you put something like this in effect in the 11th or starting in the 11th or 12th inning, to me that makes a little more sense because in the 10th inning, you know, chances are – you either still got the closer or you got a really good setup man in there. So it's a, it's a little more – the excitement is still there. And I know I'm looking at this from more of a diehard baseball fan than the casual baseball fan, which is obviously what they're trying to attract on this. But I just think it would have made more sense, you know, the longer the game went on. To do it right in the 10th inning, it just feels very stunt-like to me. And, you know, it's it, like I said, it's great for the casual fans and everything, but – you know, you've pissed off you, you've pissed off your diehard fan base, and I just don't know I don't that think something you have, like though. I, I they, they have they have with everything that went on with the negotiations and everything. I just feel like you should be looking to appease those guys while trying to bring in the casual fans, and I don't know that no, starting off the tenth inning does that. I disagree because if you think about it, the diehard fans coming back to the sport no matter what. They need the casual fan to come back to the sport. The diehard is going to watch the game no matter what. Even if you don't like the rule, you're still going to tune in to see how the team does. They need that casual fan more than they need the diehard fan right now because they need to get people and eyeballs back on the sport. So in order to do that, they have to you know, implement things like this. And to go back to my point from before mm. is about speeding up the game. The reason you do it in the 10th inning is to speed up the ending of the game. The reason you don't hold off until the 11th, the 12th, the 13th inning to implement this is because then you're still – it doesn't speed anything up. It just – it's the same pace you've had. So I think this is just a different change of pace. I think this is a change that, like I said, I want to see it implemented before I give it my wholehearted, you know, seal of approval. But I think it could be something that adds some more excitement to the game. And I think you have to do it in the 10th inning because if part of your goal is speeding up games so you don't have a four-hour, five-hour extra inning game, you could still get it done in three and a half 
you know, uh, I think that's what baseball is going for. And I just think that they need the casual fan to come back more than the diehard fan right now. And that's, you know, that's just the reality of things. They need the viewers, they need the money, they need everything. And they don't, they're going to get the diehard fans attention no matter what. They're not going to get the casual fans attention no matter what. And like you said, they pissed off enough people that maybe they're trying to make some changes here to bring some people back to get like people, you know, some level of excitement back into it. And, uh, like I said, I'm not going to completely hate this idea until I see it actually play out in game form. Well, they, there's only two things I'm going to say to respond to that. If you're already implementing the pitcher has to pitch to at least three batters rule, you're already speeding the game up that way by not having the frequent pitching changes depending on the matchup. So I, I just think doing both in the same season, I, I think that's a little bit of overkill. And – the attitude that the diehard fans are going to watch the sport no matter what, I think, and I, I get the sentiment, but I feel like that's taking for granted the diehard fans who have been through this before in 94, and you had to go through the steroid era to get most of those guys back in the first place. So I just think you run a risk if you value the casual fans over your diehard fans who have grown up with it. Because let's be honest, the casual fans – they're, they're fickle. They're very fickle. They're the reason why you want to make these changes in the first place because the casual fans stopped watching the game. The diehard fans are the ones you should reward first. And I know this is the balancing act that everything from sports to Marvel Comics making it into movies to uh, pro wrestling to whatever you talk about, this is the balancing act that you always see. Do you value the hardcore fans who grew up with this stuff, or do you try to get it to a broader audience? And there's never really a right answer. and There never really seems to be a middle ground. I just think there should be a way to appease the diehard fans and the casual fans without pissing off the diehard fans. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to get to a balancing act with that on anything. So that'll be my last word on that. Um, well, I want to give you one more on that. Go ahead, go ahead. Because to me, I just think that you're you're still looking at it from a fan perspective. Sure. And I don't know how to get your mind wrapped around. These aren't games to these people. They're, it's money. And they care about the money that is brought in. That's all they care about. They don't care if they make you upset. Yeah, but your the, bread and butter, your bread and butter when it comes to the money is the diehard fans. The casual no, fans aren't. Yeah, it the is casual. though. They're the ones who spend all the money on the uh, concession stands and everything, and buy the merchandise and everything. The casual fan, you're lucky to get them to watch the game, let alone spend money on the teams. Uh, see, I disagree with that because right, I, I, I'm a diehard fan, and I haven't been. I didn't go to a Yankee game at all last year. I haven't been. Like it I has nothing to do with me game. being there and yeah. spending. That's no, what I'm saying. So it's not the diehard fan going to the game, spending the money. It's actually the casual fan going to the game and spending the money. It's actually the casual fan that ups the ratings for viewership because you're always going to have that baseline of main people of your of your diehard people. You're going to have that, and no matter what. You, what you're not going to have, though, is that casual thing. Yeah. So they need to bring those people back into the fold, and then they'll find a way, and they know that eventually everybody else will get happy too. It's just, you know, it takes sometimes a little while to get there. Um, and they well, know cousin, that cousin their money, David is agreeing their money with you in is, the chat. Yeah, their money is coming from the casual fan. They need 
it's a business. It's a business. And as much as me and you can sit here and, and fanboy out about it, 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 you know, and sweat and sweat it out. It's just, it's, we look at it at a different perspective and you have to put yourselves in team shoes, in MLB shoes, and they're a business that's there to make money. That's their bottom line, regardless of if we care about championships or not, they care about their bottom line. Well, and that's just, that's just the facts of it, unfortunately. So this is what gets them a bigger bottom line. This is what they think will get fans back and, then, uh, and at least somewhat interested in the restart of the season. This is what they think could help them bring in that casual fan, and that's what they need to do. Well, let's be honest. I mean, we know the reason why diehard fans like you and me don't are more inclined not to go to the stadiums anymore. It's because they jack the prices up because they're trying to appeal to corporate America. And Cousin David is agreeing with you in terms of the casual fan. He's saying fast nickels over slow dollars. Go for the volume if you want to make money. All right, fine and everything. I still say the casual fan if you want them to watch the games, all right, fine. If you want them to spend money outside of that, I think it's harder to get them to do it than it is the diehard fan because the diehard fan is the one spending their money on the jerseys and the team apparel and all those different things. See, the, we the have casual to disagree fan, again. I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you fan, off. But yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You have to think about it. The casual fan is all those girls out there who are wearing – or, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there, David Wright and Derek Jeter jerseys and whatever else. It's all the people out there that are doing all of those things. It's uh, you, you, you know how many casual fans out there own a jersey or a T-shirt or whatever? All yeah, but half of, the, half of them are, are spending the money. Half of them are dating diehard fans. No, not, not necessarily. I'm just <laughs> saying that it's, uh, you know, it be – I think you're looking at it too close-minded. I think you're putting too much stock in the rabid fan, and you forget that we're in New York, where it's the biggest fan base, the biggest sports, the the mecca. It's it's here. Well, you know what, what it is. You know what it is, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll tell you why I always favor the diehard fan over the casual fan, and it, and I'm going to completely shift gears here because it actually has nothing to do with sports. It has to do with the fact that I grew up a diehard X-Men fan. And when I watch the movies that came out that Fox put out, it pisses me off because I see a studio that tried to get the casual fans in and didn't give a shit about the diehard fan base that was there, that was rabid enough to make you think that the X-Men as a franchise would work in movie form in the first place. And they completely shit the bed on every X-Men movie with a few exceptions that came out after X-Men 2. So my opinion, I'm, I'm always going to favor the diehard fans over the casual fans. I get your points. I, I'm, I'm a little stuck in my ways on this one. I won't lie. I won't lie. And I blame Fox Studios. <laughs> I, I blame the dream world you live in. I, I don't know. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. I feel like sometimes... Hey, my world is a better... Have a my, world is a better my world is a better place. It's a better, safer, happier place, and you would be happy to live to live there if we would take you. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But go. it's just <laughs> it's, <laughs> listen. I would love to live in the world of fandom that you live in, mm. honestly, because it's it's the best way to think about it. Mm. Honestly, you, I, I wish that the things that you wanted to happen would happen, and the reasons for it because they care about diehard fans, because they should want to bring us back first and everything. I am for all 
I, I am. I wish I just I can't. You're breaking up a little bit there, Eric. Eric, are you there? So I just can't. I can't. There you go. You hear me? Yeah, I can hear you a little bit, but you're chopping in and out. Yeah, I'm walking out. I'm walking out of my building right now, so you gotcha, might have to give gotcha. me a second. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, I'm going to highlight what Cousin David is saying here. First Class was good. Days of Future Past was great. You know, I loved First Class. I really like Days of Future Past. For some reason, I like First Class more than Days of Future Past. I'm with you on that. But when you think about what X-Men went through with X-Men 3, which is one of the worst steaming piles of garbage I've ever seen in my entire life, and then you follow that up with Wolverine Origins, those were movies that did not give a shit about your core fan base. And I just say the core fan base is the reason why you think these franchises and these teams are worth exposing to a casual audience in the first place. Because you see what these guys are doing, and you think, hey, if we can open this up to everybody, you know, if these guys are willing to do it, we have to be willing to try to open it up to everybody. But any entity that tries to do that runs the risk of pissing off your casual fan base. That's because Brian Singer did Superman instead of X-Men 3. Yeah, you know, there's a lot more to that story than you know of Cousin David. I can tell you that. I can tell you that at some point, but there's a lot more to it than just Brian Singer leaving. If anything, Brian Singer left X3 because he saw the writing on the wall. It goes all the way up to the studio head, the reason why that movie sucked. Eric, are you back? Yep, Eric needs a couple more minutes. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. Got me? All right. So, no, I mean, to go to your uh, your point about the X-Men there, I just, uh, I don't know if I 100% agree with that either because they they make movie they make these movies now because the story's already written. I hate, I don't want to burst anybody's Hollywood bubble, but the reason this and so many books and everything else get adapted is cuz Hollywood's out of new stories. They've been out of new stories and new ideas for years. Yes, and but that's you, why these that's why these keep getting recycled and recycled and recycled. You're, Regardless you're, of fan of fans yelling and screaming and whatever else Yes, sometimes that plays a factor, like we've seen with the no, Snyder you're Cup. Right. Whatnot. You're right to an extent. But when it comes to the X-Men movies, yes, the story is already written. If you would stick to the story that was written, you wouldn't fuck up the movies as horribly as you had. Like you but again, going- the, the effects have gotten so much better. It was uh, you, You're forgetting 10, 15 years ago when these X-Men movies first started coming out, they, they were a mess, but they were also a mess because of the special effects and stuff. And you had guys like Brian Singer who just want to blow things up and, like, you know, don't... That's, that's, uh, that's yeah, maybe, not... Again, ent- directors... That's not entirely accurate. It's because the studio didn't realize what they had on their hands. The X-Men universe... <clears throat> the X-Men universe should have been the MCU 10 years before the MCU came into existence. That X-Men 3 completely destroyed every hope they had for X-Men being a standalone entity. They tried to do it, you know, I give them credit for bringing Matthew Vaughn in and doing First Class, but the studio itself had no faith in that movie because there was no marketing behind it. X-Men Days of Future Past, that was a great movie. I'm not going to lie, it was a very good movie. I favor First Class as a better movie myself, but I love Days of Future Past. And then when you look at what they did with Apocalypse, just a very bland, bland movie. 
couple really good scenes in it, but just an overall bland movie. And then David is pointing out um, X-Men Dark Phoenix, the one that came out last year. You know, they tried to do the space epic. They were afraid, and the reason why X3 fucked up was because they were afraid of doing a space epic. And then you look at what Marvel did with uh, Infinity War and Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok. If the studio heads had faith that the fans would get behind a space epic, that would have been an entirely different thing. But the idea... Go ahead. Here's the problem again, though, with with your theory of, you know, making movies for like, no matter what, as a diehard fan, whether the movie sucks or not, you're still going to see it. So as a diehard fan, it doesn't matter. I didn't pay for it, actually. I didn't pay for it. I I got it for free. Regardless of how you got it, you watched it. That's all they care about. Like, yes, they care about the money for the ticket sales, but you watched it. As a diehard fan, if, even if it's garbage, you're going to watch it. They need the casual fan. That's who's going to push it in the box office above a billion. That's who's going to push it elsewhere. It was the casual fan who, who, knew, who got to know Deadpool, not the rabid Deadpool fan. I didn't know Deadpool existed until the movie came out, and now I love him, but I, it's just, I'm, you know, it is the way it is. Diehards knew who he was. I didn't particularly know who he was. I read up a little bit about him before the movie came out. And when sort of movie, it's the casual fan. You need to make money in any industry. You have your diehards. You need the casual fan to, to bring the, the whole point, you know, full circle. Well, I will also say, to your point, I know casual fa- <clears throat> casual fans don't have the hatred for X3 that I do. Um, just just because they, do, they don't know what could have been if they would have had faith in the idea that an audience, a broader audience, would have gotten behind a space epic that Phoenix should have been. And besides the fact that you go straight, you go straight from Jean Grey dying to Dark Phoenix and you leave out the whole middle ground that is the reason why you give a shit about Jean Grey as Phoenix in the first place. Eric, I could spend three hours on this subject. I don't think you want me to do that. But No, I, I think I'm good. I've said all I need to say. So I'm, just, can, I'm just saying I could, spend a lot, I could spend a lot of time on this subject if I really want to. But Yeah, uh, I'm good on it, though. We can, we what can I was going to say, let me just finish this point. Okay, so you pissed off the diehard fans with that. You didn't do any favors with Wolverine Origins. And then X-Men First Class comes out. Best movie they had since X-Men 2. Nobody saw that movie. That was one of the lowest grossing X-Men movies they ever had in Fox. You know who saw it? The diehards. The diehards are the only ones who saw it. They lost the casual fan with the other movies. That that just goes right to my point. I think it was also bad marketing. I think they did piss off a number of the diehard fans who didn't want to see it at that point either. But I'm not, I'm not totally going to disagree with that point. But let me ask you something, though. To sum this up and close this out, you have the option of watching the X-Men movies or the X-Men animated series. Which one are you choosing? You better choose the right answer. Um, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I love some cartoons, but I didn't oh, mind the movies that much. So bastard. I don't remember. I, I'll be honest. It's been so long since I've watched the cartoons that were in the 90s that I haven't gone back and rewatched them. So I got to go with probably what I watched most recently. 
And uh, I'm going to go with the movies if I had to pick. The, the animated series is the definitive version of the X-Men, not the X-Men movies. If you want to see what the X-Men are really about, you watch the animated series. And the Phoenix Saga is a thousand times better than anything that's ever been on a movie screen. And Cousin David is agreeing with me, too. And he's also pointing out it is the greatest intro song in the history of animated series. I know you know that intro. The opening thing. Uh, that goes to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What'd you say? Heroes in a half shell turtle power. No, you're not. You're not. He doesn't win that. Okay, that's pretty good. I'll give you that. But I mean, the animated, the X Men animated series. I, I'll I'll give that the edge to the turtles. But I I can't fault you for thinking. That. I'm not gonna. The- I'm not gonna argue with you on that one. That's a good point. You you tell me vintage nineties you know hey, animated I grew, cartoon. I grew up on that. I grew up on that shit too. That's I'm the not, first not cartoon theme song that comes to my head. That's, I could still probably sing you the words too. You know, and not, I haven't I haven't seen the show in twenty years. That's not a bad one. I I gotta be honest. That that that's a pretty good that's a pretty good pick. Cousin David is saying He Man and Thundercats. Cousin David loved Thundercats. He loves Thundercats. Thundercats was a good one, too. I mean, I, I got to be honest. I would probably put, you know, Thundercats even above the X-Men as well, the theme song as well. I would I would have to uh, uh, piggyback off of Cousin David's comment there. Yeah, I'm going with animated series. All right, anyway, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about Cam Newton of the Patriots here. Uh, <coughs> so the Patriots did wind up pulling the trigger on Cam Newton. I was surprised by this one just because I didn't think the personality would match with Belichick. They get him for a steal. It's the league minimum with incentives that could bring the contract to $7 million. Here's my question. I get that he's had injuries. I get that he's been a little bit of a head case. When you look at what some of the other quarterbacks are making in this league and the fact that other teams are starting with guys like Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. How does Cam Newton not only stay as a free agent for as long as he did, but only get a league minimum contract? I can tell you exactly how is that Belichick out, you know, kind of outsmarted everybody again, but he found Cam Newton who, if Cam Newton wants to walk in and get a starting job day one, New England's the place to do it. They have Jared Stidham, who's never started, or whatever his name is, Stidham, who's never started a game in the NFL as his only competition. If he goes anywhere else, even with Trubisky, even with Tua down in, in Miami or Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville, these are guys who are expected to start week one, and he would have to go in and compete for the job. Let's be honest. They're going to say it's a quarterback competition in New England. But it's really not. And if no. you think about it, Belichick's had a quarterback similar to what Cam Newton's skill set is with Jacoby Brissett, and he's used that to his advantage in, year, in a year past. What do you think got Jacoby Brissett his other contracts? You know what I mean? He, he knows what he's doing. I think it's a smart fit. Cam bet on himself for one year. He's going to wait and see how the rest of the quarterback market, and especially the younger market, plays out. Um, with some of these new QBs. And I think if he goes in and they can find a way to light it up, which is very possible in that offense and and with, and with Belichick, um, this is the move I kind of expected all along because it's just the move that makes sense. It gets them a MVP caliber quarterback 
uh, who's who's ready to play week one. And from all the reports you hear, Cam is as healthy as he's ever been. Um, he's ready to play, not to say that he won't get hurt during the season, but that's also why they only gave him a minimum contract with a whole lot of incentives. So it doesn't hurt either side if this doesn't work out. Cam gets a job for this year, and if it does work out and he bets on himself and, and that bet pays off, he's going to make a lot of money probably next offseason from somebody you know, who had a young quarterback who didn't work out. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a positive thing. Heck, you can maybe even if he lights it up in New England and he's willing to take a team-friendly deal and try to win some chips, he, he may take – less money next year to play in New England. I mean, not that he, he's going to take as little as he took this year, but maybe next year he gives them a team-friendly deal for a few for a few years and, you know, tries to go after another championship again. It's very possible, and what it does is it makes New England a contender in the AFC East again, where the Bills and the Jets and the Dolphins were all going, hey, it's our year, it's our time. Belichick said, not so fast. And uh, I think from, from here, it'll be interesting the way that division plays out next season, which is, which is definitely happening, too, because nothing's stopping the Shield. <laughs> I, you, you find a way to sneak that in every week. That, that's funny. But um, listen, I'm not questioning whether or not this was a smart move on Belichick's part. Obviously, this was a very smart move on his part. But the fact that, this, that apparently the Patriots were Cam Newton's only offer – I mean, he's going to make a lot of people look really stupid next year. I'm going to be honest. When you look at some of the other starting quarterbacks out there, and yes, I expect Newton to have a very good year, and I think it's very possible that the Patriots wind up winning the division yet again because I don't believe in the Bills just yet, and I don't really feel like there's any other competition in that division. The Dolphins are still a couple years away. The Jets can't get out of their own fucking way. So, I mean, it's going to be between the Patriots and the Bills, and because it's Belichick and he's motivated to prove he can win without Brady, uh, this, this is obviously going to be a good move for them. But you look at the, the front offices of the Bears, the Jaguars, maybe a couple other teams in there. If, this don't, if, they, if their chosen quarterbacks don't work out and Newton winds up putting on a show in New England, this is going to lead to a lot of firings, in my opinion, for the contracts they've given out, for the guys that they stuck with. It, 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 a lot of people are going to look really stupid for this. What do you say? Eric? Oh, I Eric. think you could be right oh, on that yeah. aspect that, you know, it's it could make other GMs and other teams look stupid for not giving Cam that chance. Um I mean, if I was a team like the Bears or whatever, I probably would have looked into Cam myself, um, knowing the QB situation slightly shaky. But they didn't, and I think that this is a prove-it year for Cam. And I, I really just I, – I think the more I think about it, I, I hate to think like this too. He could have a really good year there in New England. And they could win another division title again. Mm. Um I think it would be really funny if you ended up with a Patriots Bucks Super Bowl and you had Brady and Belichick each taking their individual teams that deep. That would be um, now, I definitely, now, I think that, and maybe we could debate this point a little bit, maybe you agree or disagree. I actually think that Tom Brady has a harder road to another championship than 
than than Cam does and Belichick does in New England. I honestly I, think I, that the path for New England slightly easier. I, I can agree with that statement. I, I don't really think there's much to debate there. I think the NFC East is much – or, excuse me, the NFC in general, I think is much more wide open than the AFC because you look, Patriots have the Chiefs and the Ravens to get through. And who else would you consider a threat? Like maybe the Titans if they're able to do the same thing they did last year again. But you look at the NFC – you got the Saints in their own division. Maybe the Falcons wind up being a threat. Then you got the Packers. You got the Vikings. You got uh, the Seahawks. The 49ers are still going to be good. Whatever goes on in the NFC East, whether it's the Eagles or the Cowboys, no, I agree I agree with you on that. There's, there's nothing to debate about that. There, there's a lot more teams that could get hot in the NFC than really could in the AFC. It's going to be the usual suspects in the AFC next year. Well, the AFC is, yeah, they're just going to be top-heavy. You're going to have to get through Kansas City. You're going to have to get through Baltimore. And outside of that, I think the playing field is pretty level. Like you said, I mean, a team like Tennessee could go on a run, but it's more because of the style they play. Yeah. Tough defense. In the playoffs, you hand that ball to Derrick Henry. Yeah. And you let him not only chew up yards, but eat up clock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can keep games close, and you can try to win them late that way. I think it was a, a phenomenal strategy by Brable, and, you know, I would have loved to have seen it work out. You know, I, I really thought it was very, very good strategy. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I just – to me, I look at it as it, it's just another really smart move by Belichick mm-hmm. and, and New England and they, they found a way in which a year they lose Tom Brady, their greatest quarterback in franchise history – they find a way to replace him with a former MVP. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and at a minimum, and at a minimum contract. So, I mean, it's like they, things just seem to fall in place and happen for the Patriots. Now, what I also find funny about this is, I don't know if you want to dive into this at all, but the penalty came out for the Patriots spying on the Brown Cincinnati game. I was going to bring that up. Go right ahead. But, yeah, so to bring that up, it's, you know, that they got caught, and I think they got fined a bunch of money. I don't know the exact dollar amount. And they got uh, fined also. They got their third-round pick taken away next year. But what I find funny about that, and I want to see if you think similarly too, I find it very interesting that by signing Cam this year, if they lose him to somebody else next year, they get a third-round compensatory pick back for him signing with another team. So, technically, them actually getting that third-round penalty is probably going to end up being a wash after this season's over. So I find that really interesting, and I don't know. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, I, I it makes all the sense in the world what you're saying. The, the thing that I was kind of surprised about is they get docked a third-round pick on this, and I, I know what my initial reaction to it was, and it was one of my more embarrassing episodes here when I found out the whole story after the fact. But um, – you know, you would think repeat offender status would warrant that they get docked more than a third-round pick. Like, I get that there was plausible deniability that they didn't send the guy to film the Bengals' sidelines, even though you consider the fact that they were playing the fucking Bengals the next week. So with that, I would have docked them more than a third-round pick. But your, your initial point, that, you know, maybe there's an underlining reason they signed Cam Newton because if they let him go, they get that, that pick back in that round. 
it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and I mean, as far as their record on cheating, you can look it up, and it's going to take you a while to look up because he, <laughs> they're, they're, it's extensive. They've been caught in so many times between Spygate, Deflategate, Spygate 2. I mean, I, it, the list just goes on and on and well, on. Well, in reality, it's only those three times, though. It's only those three In reality, times. but they've been – if you go and look, they've been accused of it a dozen other times, too. It's – it's pretty yeah, Even the Giants and, got accused of something, though. Not like they actually did it, but the Giants got accused of something. So everybody yeah, gets but accused. There's different, but it, no, but there's a difference when you keep get found, getting found guilty. Right. Like, there's there's a difference. The Giants uh, I don't seem to be a repeat offender. Don't seem to be – it didn't turn out to be true. The things that the Patriots turn out to be true. That's, that's the disturbing part of it. Mm. So – it's like it almost makes me think it was like, did they know that they were going to lose this third round pick? Okay, well, now it makes our decision on signing Cam easier. And I find it funny that the signing of Cam Newton happened on the same day that all of that other stuff was levied. So when you saw the news reports about the Patriots, it wasn't about the cheating. There was like a little blurb about that. It was the Patriots signed Cam Newton. What can they do now? Like, how is Cam going to change the team? Like, all over the place, ESPN everywhere, Cam, Cam, Cam. Like, that's all people cared about or wanted to talk about. Nobody, this whole Spygate 2 was just getting swept under the rug and swept right along with that story about Cam. Mm. No, you're right on that. You're absolutely right on that part, that they, they chose to do it on the day that the NFL now announces the penalties for it. I agree with you there. And, <laughs> Shout out to Fife. Let me go deeper shout, for you. Let me go. Out, hey, hey, I was like, shout out to Fife who just joined the chat. Fife is in the chat. Hey, Fife, how you doing? Okay. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, Fife. Uh, to go even deeper for you, though, if you think about it, the NFL is so desperate to make sure that there are uh, if fans can't be there. They're at least watching the games this fall. That are they going to tarnish the reputation of their best dynasty in the last twenty years, or uh, probably ever over the last twenty years? Are they gonna are they gonna keep sullying that name and bringing it up? I, I don't think so. I think it all plays in. I think from the NFL perspective to the Patriots perspective, there might have been some kind of like you know we're not in the room, so we don't know. And anybody can say no, it wasn't no, you know there was no collusion, there was no anything. But I think behind closed doors, people were having conversations, and they're like, listen, we're, we're, we don't need any bad publicity with what's going on out there in the world. Let's try to find a way to sweep this, make it as quiet as possible. We still have to hit you with something because we got to – here's what we're going to do. You couple it with Cam signing, which you were looking to maybe do anyway. The picks are going to wash each other out after this year, and everybody can get excited about what Cam's going to do in your offense. How's it sound? Pretty good? Pretty good. Everybody on board? Done. Next thing you know, the news breaks. I just think that it's, it's just too convenient. And you want to put, I'll put the tinfoil hat on if you want me to, but it's just – the, the, the NFL cares more about their bottom line. It goes back to that thing about money, Mike. We need to talk about it, talk about it but it's the world we live in. The NFL is here to make money. And what makes them money is the Patriots right now. They are a money maker. They are a perennial yeah, but, team every year. But let's, they, be, they let's are be honest. Storylines without Brady and everything else, they are trying to keep all those storylines positive. They are not trying to go negative. And that's why I think you saw this as swept under the rug as you did. Yeah, but let's be honest. There's a portion of New England's fan base 
that thrives on the idea that, and I'm not saying I agree with it, but the idea that they get falsely accused for stuff because you know there's people who still fight on the spot on um, the Deflate Gate thing. Like, let, let's be honest, you, you know the whole thing with El Presidente. Yeah, the idea that Brady was falsely accused on that one and that whole thing was a whole, uh, 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 a whole ado about nothing and all that stuff. They, the Patriots make them a lot of money by being the guys who the rest of the league hates. So I get your point on that one. But the idea that you have to sweep it under the rug to keep the Patriots making you money, I mean, the Patriots are going to make you money no matter what. Not really. If you think about it, before the Brady dynasty, the Patriots were a laughable team. They were well, yeah, arguably, but that was so they long were argu- ago. Hold on, let me finish. They were right. they were arguably the most forgotten franchise in all of New England. Given, given, absolutely. But so I mean, it's only the last twenty years you're talking about. This yeah, but they is made the a lot of money over. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They've made a lot of money over the last twenty years. What does the NFL care about? They care about money. That's it. And so what's going to drive our revenue and our money? We have to find you. We have to give you something. Here's what we'll give you. You'll cancel each other out. You're going to pay a fine. Everybody walks away happy. Yeah. It just, it's too win, win, win for me uh, to, to not make sense. Well, listen, again, I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but my pushback to that would be, yes, the Patriots' success has come in the last 20 years. Yes, the money-making has come in the last 20 years. The last 10 of it, was when the Patriots had the reputation of being cheaters. And they were still making money through Deflategate, through Spygate, through everything that went on. It's really been in the last 10 years, and it hasn't stopped the Belichick Express at all. But if you also think about it, they really haven't been hit hard with any fines or anything at all for any of their crimes. So well, it doesn't Brady seem like did this get should suspended be the for four games. He did get suspended yeah, for but, four games. But again, I'm just saying, like, outside of that, they really haven't taken any kind of hit the way that the general population and fandom thinks they should have. It's wow. just the, the, the punishments haven't fit the crime. And that's where I have a problem. And I don't think that the NFL was suddenly going to get tough on New England now. They haven't done it before. Why would they do it now? Doesn't well, make sense. Goodell and Kraft are going to get in a room. They're going to laugh. They're going to have a couple drinks, and they're going to find the best solution for everybody. And I think that's what they did here. Well, to your point, the idea that they destroyed the Deflategate tapes and didn't let them out so people could see what exactly they did. Yeah, you know, the idea of collusion basically starts and ends with that whole thing. So I can give you that point. All right, and just to throw what Fife is saying in here, he's saying, I think we all knew Cam was going to end up a Patriot. The timing is definitely planned out, but it was going to happen. Listen, I still say, I thought it was going to be Andy Dalton with the Patriots. I didn't think Cam was going to end up with the Patriots. I didn't think his personality would match with Belichick. (laughs) So the fact that this is where we ended up, I was surprised by it at the very least. I may be by myself on that one, but that's okay. All right. Go ahead. Well, but if you think real quick, real quick, just end it out. Sure. Think about it though. Belichick wants to win more than anybody. Cam Newton needs to prove himself probably more than anybody else coming back this year. Well, it makes sense. It I'm makes not saying it. The, the yeah. mindset of Cam, whether he's focused on just himself or not, he's going to be focused on being the best Cam he could be this season. And if you're Belichick, that's all you really give a damn about. How's he going to help me win? Now, you don't care if he's got a little bit of an ego problem, whatever else. He's dealt with those people before. 
Mm. Again, I, I just don't see where it's not a, a win-win for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you on that. But at this point, this will close it out. The idea that the Patriots were going to tank this season for Trevor Lawrence, you remember that? Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, not anymore. Belichick wants to win now, and he knows he's got a short window, and he knows that by drafting a young QB, he, you know, like in Stidham, he, I don't think he has the confidence in a young QB to come in the league now, and get this, it done. No, there's but, no way Stidham starts this season. It's going to be Cam Newton. There's no, you yeah, said it earlier. Saying, like, you said tanking, it earlier. Even tanking for Tam, even tanking, though, it wouldn't be a Belichick thing to do, even yeah. though it might have been the smart thing to do if somebody else would have signed Cam first. This is the best option for Bill to win this year. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. With that, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up this week? Um, Sports-wise, I mean, yeah, we could just touch on it. I know neither of us really care to, to dive too deep into it, but just all the players, you know, opting out of whatever sports. I get why some of them are doing it. Um, so, and I get, you know, the – you know how they're testing everybody. Um, from what I heard before, I did hear Buster only on the radio before, and he said that really it's the next like 48 hours are going to be the biggest for Major League Baseball because they've done all the testing. So now they're waiting for the results on the testing of people who've gone to their little spring training sites and whatever. Um, so that's going to be the biggest determining factor of whether baseball can get started. A lot of people still don't know if it's going to ever finish the season, but – as far as possibly getting a restart, so they're looking at, and then just a lot of players in the NBA opting out. Mm. Some for for very normal reasons that I completely understand. Others, well, I just you know I uh, I have a different opinion on. So we'll, well leave it. Listen, at that. like you said, I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this, but to bring up something cousin David had brought up earlier, he doesn't think there's going to be baseball. He said Buster only puts the start of the baseball season at 5% and 0% to finish the season. No, no, he upped that today. That's an old interview, Cousin David. Cousin David, that was two days ago. Today he went on the K show, said some different things, and he is more optimistic today. And he said by Monday he could be very optimistic about the start of the season and maybe 50-50 on the end. I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, maybe still unclear on the end. But uh, well, I'll he was you, way more optimistic today than he was two days ago. Well, I'll tell you this. The basketball players opting out, I really don't blame any of them for not wanting – the ones who do opt out, I don't blame them for not doing it. Because I got to be honest, the fact that this is being held in Orlando and the fact that Florida is basically the epicenter for what is happening – in terms of another breakout of this thing, that that's going to be a little dangerous here. And I kind of I, I hope everybody involved in this plays it safe and plays it smart, so we are able to have this. But in terms of the the health risks, I hope everybody involved in this is just able to stay safe with the whole thing. Because I'm sorry, there's some fucking morons in Florida. I know you've seen some of the video of these idiots out there who don't want to wear the fucking mask, say, I don't wear a mask for the same reason I don't wear underwear. You got to let it breathe. And the ones who say that, I'm sorry, these odd-looking people, these hideous-looking people saying this shit. It's like, dude, put on a mask, put on an underwear, put on a freaking headband, wear a freaking towel. I only want to see your eyes. Don't let anybody else see that. Don't expose yourself to that. You'll frighten the children. You'll frighten the children. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Fife. 
I didn't know Fife, Fife lives in Florida? No, his parents do. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Fife. I'm sure your parents My folks are, are in Florida, too. I'm sure all you guys are very decent people. I'm not talking about you, those guys. I'm not talking about them. I still have some family in Florida myself. Shout out to my Uncle Tommy. So I'm just saying, you listen, know what I'm have... you know what I'm talking about, though. Listen, I know what I know what you're talking about. I wear masks and I go into certain places and whatnot. It's what you do, and more because I, it's not necessarily the fact that I want to wear it. I just try not to make the other people around me uncomfortable. So I do it, you know, for everybody else more than for myself, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I understand why to do it, and I understand why people are saying to do it. And if it helps, it helps. If it doesn't, who knows? I don't know all the science behind it myself. What I do know, though, is that I just find it really weird, and I hate to get political here, but, I mean, Governor Murphy has his head so far up his ass here in Jersey. I mean, you're allowing casinos to reopen, and, you know, you're, you're allowing protests out left and right, but yet people can't go out to eat. It's just I don't understand the, 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 some of the rules and, and things going on. As far as social distancing and wearing masks, so I do think everybody should be doing that. Be socially conscious. Sure. Be respectful of the people around you. Even if you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. But if people around you are or want you to wear one, how about you maybe just go to a different store or a different aisle or just not be around those people. Like, you know, try to distance even further from them if you're refusing to mask up. It is what it is, but I just think that we could be more respectful to each other out there in society sure. while still trying to figure out the best ways to go about not getting this, this virus. Yeah. And to bring up Cousin David's point, Eric, I'm going to take a page out of your book this year. Maybe sports shouldn't play this year, take a year off for the public and safety, health, that whole thing. Um, I'm telling you right now, I don't think anybody wants sports to take a year off and it's because of the money, not just the money that the leagues would make, but the money that would go into the economy. I think that's yeah. why I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm taking a page out of your book here. There's too much money behind sports that fuels the country for them. If for any political leader to actually want them to take the year off. I, I agree. I just think that we need to find smart ways to do it, smart ways to reopen and, and get people back to work. Because like you said, it's not just the players making millions or the owners making billions. It's the concession workers. It's the security guards. It's the, all the other sure. people who work at these stadiums, arenas, and elsewhere that now aren't going to be able to work and have to be on unemployment longer and everything else. And, you know, if if sports don't come back, what happens to all those people? How many hundreds of thousands of people around the country w would suffer for it and, and not be able to make a living or provide for their family? It, there's just so many factors that go into this that, I mean, it, it, listen, both sides, uh, the extremists on both sides are wrong. Everybody yells and screams too much. Mm. I think we need cooler heads. We need people that can think rationally, have some common sense, and come up with some game plans that actually work for the people. And, and I'm hoping that starts to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. No, I agree with that sentiment. I agree with that sentiment. They should take a page out of the book that we have been using for tonight because we haven't yelled at screamed at each other one time, and it's been a very enjoyable episode, Eric. I hope you feel the same way on that one. Um, yes, but uh, to an extent. <laughs> I, I, hate to, I hate when we get towards this side of this stuff, when we're talking about players opting out, the COVID yeah. stuff and, the, and, and money stuff. It's just it's so hard for people out there, and there's – like you said, you can't please everybody, no matter what side of the fence you're on. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I just, uh, yeah. I, I think well, that we I just need, I, you know, 
common I'll tell you sense what. to be more common again. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. I'll tell you what. You don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. Let's move on. So if that's everything sports related, we're going to talk about. My mother wanted Dirty works. Well, my mother wanted me to bring up that she did actually watch last week's episode with the woman doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch it. But um, go, go ahead and say your thoughts on it. No, it's quite an enjoyable show. I think you should, get, you know, give it a try. It's it's not going to bite you. Um, it's just a fun watch. It's just uh, it's just a goofy fun watch. And uh, hope your mom feels the same way about it. Uh, like I said, this lady's just an interesting lady. You see what you see what Fife's got in the chat room. You see what Fife just. I do put? not. He's saying, "Please, no dirty works." <laughs> All right, we don't have to talk to Listen, I'll talk a million other shows if you want to. That I've been watching. No, I, I wanna, mean, Titan I wanna, Games. I wanna, I wanna, I'll tell you what, Ryan Reynolds, uh, to bring up something. I don't know if you've seen this game show, but if you haven't, Mike, <laughs> and you enjoy Ryan Reynolds like I think you do from Deadpool and anything else that he really does, um, he has a game show on ABC right now. I'm pretty sure it's probably because of the whole Fox Marvel thing and he was able to pitch ABC on an idea that they took. <laughs> um, but it's a really actually – I, I think good game show. It's called Don't. And oh, what he is, he, he's like the voice in the sky that you don't really, you don't ever see. He's never on stage or whatever, but he kind of narrates the whole thing. So you get that Ryan Reynolds, like, you know, flair in there of him narrating, making fun of people, doing whatever. And then, you know, you get the actual game show too. And it's a game show where, you know, it's just a bunch of stupid games. They usually bring your family on. You have a chance to win up to like a hundred thousand dollars. It's, it's that, just a fun a, watch. All right. It's a fun watch, and if you're if you like Ryan Reynolds, I like Ryan Reynolds. If you like Ryan Reynolds, you'll like this show because it's definitely you. You could see he created this. This was from his mind. Like it's it's definitely something that he he enjoys doing, or at least it seems that way. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Check it out. It's on ABC. I'm not 100 percent sure which day of the week, but well, I'm sure I, you catch I it on demand. Um, I'm sure you catch it. You I know, have sling. I have Sling, and the, one of the only problems with it is ABC doesn't come on Sling, but I have Hulu also, so maybe I'll see if it's on Hulu. But Fife is bringing up this thing, Valiant, which I guess was a documentary about the Vegas Golden Knights that's on Amazon Prime. He says he welled up three times in the first hour, watched the Russian Five on, on Prime, how the Detroit Wings, Red Wings went covert to bring Russian players to the NHL. I actually know what Fife is talking about on that. That was the late 90s when they had the entire Russian line on that. Lou was the first espionage GM with Slava Fetisov. I know Slava was one of the guys on there. I can't remember the rest of the players on there, but I, I actually know what Fife is talking about on there. That was like 96 when that happened. I know, I know what he's talking about on there. But I, I do you, have Valiant on my watch list, but I haven't watched it yet. He gave me that, that uh, recommendation about a week ago, and I just haven't watched it yet, but it is on my things to watch. He's saying the recruiting started in the 80s. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I guess that makes sense. Here's one thing I want to bring up. I, I've been trying not to bring up pro wrestling shit too much on this show. I, I know you probably don't have WWE Network. How do you feel about The Undertaker? I mean, I, I like The Undertaker. I did see his retirement. Um, I got to tell you, yeah. that, that series that they did, The Last Ride, basically – it's the same thing as with the Jordan documentary. Apparently, he's had a camera crew following him around the last three years. And it was a five-episode series that started with, I guess it was WrestleMania 33 
in 2018 when he went up against Roman Reigns. And it goes all the way through that Boneyard match, which I told you about back in April when it came on, how I thought that was absolutely so well done. And that's what the final episode was about, the Boneyard match. And I, it was, it, this was a really good series. And I got to say, I, I really liked the way they did it. And yeah, that retirement, um, I, I'm glad it's finally happening, truthfully, because you know, I'm not going to pretend that he was, he was one of my favorites, but you have to respect what the guy meant to the business and everything. The greatest character pro wrestling has ever created. There's only one person who ever could have created and played that character for as long as he did. The fact that he kept the kayfabe aspect of it up for as long as he did and is only starting to do interviews, revealing backstories to what he was going through now when so many other wrestlers have broken kayfabe over the last 20 years. It's just a testament to the man. And it's definitely worth the watch. I'm going to check it out. I mean, I, I, like I said, I grew up watching The Undertaker. I think his retirement's long overdue. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I enjoyed the, you know, my younger years of watching him, you know, so. Well, they do some flashbacks to some of the older stuff that happened. So it, it, it's, it's a little like the Jordan documentary because they do go back to his earlier years and everything. So you see some of the stuff that you grew up with as a kid. It doesn't, it, it doesn't cut as abruptly as the Jordan documentary did, but it's all there. So, yeah, no, definitely, definitely worth the watch on that. But I tell you that there's another thing I want to bring up because I know, I, I think it was last week, was 22 years since the Hell in the Cell match between The Undertaker and Mick Foley. There is a special on WWE Network. Mick Foley does stand-up comedy now. And the special is two years old. It's about the Hell in the Cell. Mick Foley does a whole one-man show talking about the Hell in the Cell. If you have the opportunity to watch this, it is funny. It is emotional. It is so damn good. Now, I'm a huge Mick Foley fan anyway. Mick Foley was one of my favorites growing up. Definitely worth watching. Right, cousin, cousin, David, cousin David put the call on there. They, you know the call that Jim Ross did. When he, fe when he got thrown off the cage the first time. It's one of the greatest calls in the history of sports. Oh, my God, they killed him. He's broken in half. Uh, I remember that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to bring that up at least once because I know I haven't brought that up over the last few weeks. But um, anything else you'd like to bring up, Eric? No, that's all I got for you for now. I mean, I wouldn't mind maybe jumping on doing a short one on Friday if you're around. I happen to be off when you said you're working, but uh, well, I, yeah, uh, I hopefully maybe we have some more baseball news or you know any kind of other news. If not, you know, yeah. till next week. We're you know. Well, I want to say this. I'm going to ignore one of the last things cousin David put in the chat room. But I'm going to say this because Cousin Dave is saying, Nancy and I still watch the January 4th, 1999 title match where Foley won the title for the first time. I actually just watched that again uh, a couple weeks ago. Another great call. Uh, Michael Cole actually had the call when he won it. One of my favorite calls of all time. Mick Foley has won the title. Oh, I can't remember the whole line, but something to the effect that Mick Foley has achieved his dream and the dream of everyone who's ever been told you can't do it. One of my favorite matches of all time. When he won the title from The Rock with Stone Cold interfering from the outside. You know the one I'm talking about, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, I haven't watched it since it happened, but yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I want to bring up something because I, I'm not going to point out what cousin David is bringing up in the chat room. What tomorrow is. I want to bring up what today is. Today is the 20th anniversary of the Mets come from behind victory against the Atlanta Braves. It was on a Friday night in 2000. The Mets were down eight to one heading into the eighth inning. They scored 10 runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, capped off by Edgardo Alfonso hitting a two run double uh, that tied the game up. And then Piazza hit a freaking seeing eye blast in the left field that gave the Mets the lead. The Mets won the game 11 to eight. I brought this up before. Do you remember this game at all? No, not at all. But I'm not a Met fan, so yeah, I, I have zero, very few Met memories at all stored in this spring. Fife, I choose to ignore what you are saying in the chat room right now. I will say this. It is, is it about my, Chipper Jones owning the Mets? No, actually, it's not. It's about, it's sad that as a Met fan, it's sad when you got to remember a regular season win. Well, you know something? That might that's be all they got, Fife. That's all they got. Yeah, that is not necessary, Eric. That is not necessary. But I'll say this. It's one of my all-time favorite games because I was watching that game when it happened. And I'll tell you right now, that victory, as far as I'm concerned, carried us to the fucking World Series. That was the victory that turned our season around that year. And that is how I choose to remember that era of Mets baseball. They were the come-from-behind kids. They were the ones, we'll spot you five runs in the first inning. We're going to come from behind, and we're going to win the game anyway. And you haven't seen a Met team be able to do that since the Bobby Valentine years. I'm going to say this. And, you know, you can say what you want because I know you're thinking, yeah, carried them to the World Series, and then the Yankees beat the shit out of them. Yeah, okay, fine, fine. I get it. That's how that that's how I choose to think of the Mets, though. When that victory is one of my favorite all-time games I've ever seen, I've ever seen as a Met fan, in my opinion. All right, stay sweaty, my friend. <laughs> some deep Met dive there that I wasn't quite ready for. So, like I said, it's one of the reasons I love you. Just stay sweaty. Well, I want to correct Cousin David. Armando Benitez actually did get into the game. He got the save. So Benitez actually did not blow that game. So, and he, he saying, I think this is Fife. Chipper not only dominated the team, he named, his, he named his child after their stadium. Yeah, I always liked that, though. I, I don't look at it the way that Fife does. That was a sign of respect for everything that the Mets went, meant to his career. And yeah, okay, they meant him beating the shit out of the Mets every time he played them. But, you know, I, I've always kind of respected Chipper Jones for the fact that he named his son Shay. I, I like that. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. But all right. Eric Tressler, this was a fun show this week, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoyable. Like I said, I'm fried. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to honestly just eat some dinner and – yeah, that's about it. Watch from Turdy Works, 10 o'clock. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, Fife, maybe we'll get some hockey in next week. There were a couple things I wanted to bring up with you anyway. Maybe we'll get to them next week. And I Listen, like- I would love to have Fife call into the show, too. Get him on the air, talk a little bit. Yeah, next, no, week, next, to, uh... week, next week, he should definitely call in because there was some hockey if news. If he can. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Next week we should definitely make some time. Or I mean, I that. listen, if we do if we do something on Friday too, if we want to do a little hockey special on Friday, I'm not opposed to it. I don't know what five schedules like. I know he's got you know, he might have things going on, but if if we could maybe coordinate something for Friday, I'd be down for that too, if we don't want to wait till next week. Hey, so, I, uh, listen, I am open to doing something on Friday. Text me on Friday. I'll let you know where I'm at. All right? Thank, All right. You, thank you, everybody, for checking us out. Everybody in the chat room, my mom, cousin David, Fife. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everybody, listening on our podcasting outlets. Thank you, Eric Tressler, for being here with me this week. Stay sweaty, my friend. Everybody, big old birthday shout-out to Dave Hastings. Hopefully we get him back next week. Happy birthday, Dave. Happy birthday, Dave. I am Mike Agliolaro, and we will see you all next week.